Hello, and welcome back to Cinema Sunday. I am your host, Candy Thomas, and this is a bonus episode in celebration of Valentine's Day. Even though I'm a grouchy single woman who typically gives a big F you to the prospect of dating and marriage and children and... (laughs) I do love a good romantic comedy. Ordinarily, I watch one of the 94 movies that have won an Oscar for Best Picture, and I tell you exactly what I think of them. But it makes for a lively detour to occasionally do a perfectly timed bonus episode, so you're welcome. I'm going to stick to the usual format that I use every week. The same basic details of the movie, things like who's in it, what's it all about, and I'm still going to answer these three important questions. One, does it stand the test of time? Two, is it Oscar worthy? Three, Should you watch it, or are there at least a million other better ways you could kill a couple of hours? Just as a friendly warning, along with my honest assessment of these movies, you're also going to get my hot takes on many current events and my incessant rambling about things that irritate me. And of course, it's mixed with a heaping dose of adult language. Please be sure you listen with caution. Like they say down here in the South, if you can't handle a little bit of fussing and cussing, sweetie, this ain't your podcast. You just need to go move along. Before we begin, I'd like to thank Wikipedia and IMDb, as they are great sources of information for all things movie and Oscar related. And with that, let's take it away. This week's bonus film is When Harry Met Sally. It was released July 14th, 1989. It's directed by Rob Reiner. It stars Billy Crystal, Meg Ryan, Bruno Kirby, and our girl Carrie Fisher. It was nominated for a total of one Oscar, which was for Best Original Screenplay. This movie was written by the godmother of romantic comedies, Miss Nora Ephron. If you want to watch it, it can be found on HBO Max if you have a subscription. If you don't, you should really get one. My God, it more than pays for itself. It's also available to stream on several subscription-based services such as Spectrum, TNT, TBS, True TV, or you can pay a few dollars and stream it on Amazon Prime, Vudu, and Redbox. So what is it about? It starts out in 1977. Harry Burns, who's played by Billy Crystal, and Sally Albright, played by Meg Ryan, have both just graduated from the University of Chicago. They don't know each other, but they are connected through Sally's friend Amanda, who also happens to be dating Harry. Amanda has brought them together so they can carpool from Chicago to New York, where both Harry and Sally have exciting new adventures waiting for them. They're only a few minutes into the road trip before we start to see how opposite they are. Sally is cheerful, bright, and has a largely optimistic outlook on life, whereas Harry considers himself deep, dark, and pessimistic. They argue about a lot of insignificant things along the way, most notably whether or not Ilsa should have left Casablanca with Victor Laszlo or stayed behind with Rick. They stop for dinner and we get a first glimpse of how picky Sally is when ordering food, a routine that will eventually cause Harry to deem her high maintenance. There's a delightful conversation about days of the week underpants, and by the end of dinner, Harry admits that he finds Sally to be attractive. She's offended because she thinks he's being disloyal to Amanda, which is true, but this gives us a little bit of foreshadowing into the type of guy Harry is supposed to be. 
a bit of a womanizer. Sally tells him they can only be friends, but he says men and women can't be friends. There will always be sexual tension. No man can be friends with a woman he finds attractive. He always wants to have sex with her. So sadly, they determine they cannot be friends, which Sally admits is disappointing because Harry is the only person she knows in New York. Upon their arrival, the two part ways, figuring they would never see each other again. But we're only 15 minutes into the movie, so I think you know what happens next. Fast forward five years. It's now 1982. Sally is in a relationship with a tall, handsome lawyer named Joe. They are at the airport and have a chance encounter with Harry, who used to live in the same building with Joe. Turns out both Harry and Sally are on the same flight and end up sitting next to each other. He correctly guesses that Sally and Joe are only a few weeks into their relationship because Joe dropped her off at the airport, and that's only something a man does at the beginning of a relationship. As they're talking about their relationships, Harry announces that he's engaged to be married to a lawyer named Helen. Sally is surprised, admitting that she can't believe Harry would A, settle down with just one woman, and B, that he would do something seemingly so optimistic. There's some fun banter between the two as Harry talks about leaving the single life behind. And when they deplane, he invites her to dinner, just as friends. But she reminds him that he said men and women can't be friends. He tries to add an amendment to the rule since they are both in relationships with other people. But then he talks himself out of it saying, yeah, they would still probably want to have sex anyway. Regardless of his attempts to charm her, Sally declines the dinner invite and they go their separate ways. Fast forward another five years, and it's now 1987. Sally is having lunch with her friends, one of whom is Marie, played by Carrie Fisher. Marie is lamenting that her quote-unquote boyfriend, who happens to be a married man, has just made a large purchase for the home he shares with his wife. And she says, he's never going to leave her, which is apparently something Marie has known for two full years, but continues to hold on to hope. During this lunch, Sally announces that she and Joe broke up. She says they have been growing apart for quite some time and that she's really not that upset about it. Sally explains that she's 31 years old and she felt like she deserved more. This is Marie's cue. And I'm not kidding. She literally pulls a Rolodex out of her purse at the table and starts looking for men to set Sally up with. But Sally isn't ready to date just yet. She needs some time to be alone and is willing to wait for the right person to come along. Then we see Harry at a New York Giants game with his friend Jess, played by Bruno Kirby. He's telling a story about how his wife Helen has decided to leave him. She leads him to believe it's just a trial separation and she just needs some time alone to think things through. But when movers arrive at the house, Harry realizes that she's leaving him for good and she's been planning this for quite some time now. Turns out he was duped. She fell in love with someone else and was moving in with him. Harry is humiliated and heartbroken. It's not long after that that Sally and Marie are in a bookstore when they notice someone spying on them from a couple of rows over. (laughs) It turns out to be Harry. He approaches and starts up a conversation with Sally. They quickly establish that they've both recently encountered breakups and then end up getting a cup of coffee together, during which they share stories of their failed relationships. As they are walking through the city afterwards, they decide to forgive and forget. And from this point forward, they agree they're going to be friends. This continues on for several months, and we get to see them having a a healthy and enjoyable platonic friendship. They phone each other late at night to watch movies together. They eat out a lot. They spend a lot of time walking around the city and going to museums. 
they seem to really enjoy each other's company and they encourage each other to get back out into the world of dating. Then they end up sharing the inevitable horror stories because now they realize it's a nightmare out there and neither of them can find anyone worthwhile. Harry's friend Jess cannot wrap his head around this relationship that Harry has with Sally. He's stunned that Harry can have open, candid conversations with Sally, like telling her about the time he made a woman meow during sex. (laughs) Of course, learning all about his sex life is eye-opening for Sally. There's a role she's playing as Harry's friend, trying to be a good listener and talking him through various issues in his life, but she's also seeing how he's kind of a one-trick pony. I totally understand Sally's dilemma here. I have platonic male friends who are strangely very open with me about their sex life, But at some point, you can't help but wonder if that's all they ever do or all they ever think about. It's like, Jesus, dude, try reading a fucking book. Sally is somewhat insulted by all of Harry's womanizing. She's not directly impacted, but she is a woman and considers him to be an affront to all women. Harry's argument is that it's all mutual. They are there for a good time, and he's pretty damn sure they all enjoy his company. And Sally proving that women are very capable of faking their enjoyment, treats us to one of the most memorable scenes in modern movie history. It's the I'll have what she's having scene in the middle of Katz's Deli. It's an absolute classic. Pretty soon the holidays are upon us and we see Harry and Sally at a New Year's Eve party together. They consider themselves lucky that they can be each other's stand-in on those occasions when they don't have dates. But it's at this point they realize they're starting to fall for each other. And of course, that sucks because they are such great friends that they can't bear ruining it by becoming romantic with each other. So they take the safest path. They play matchmaker. They agree to be set up with each other's best friends on a blind date. Turns out Sally and Jess have even less in common than Harry and Marie. The dinner is awkward and uncomfortable, and the only upside being that their dear friends Jess and Marie manage to fall for each other, leaving Harry and Sally rejected and hopelessly single. It's not long before Harry and Sally are shopping for a housewarming gift for their friends, and a trip to Sharper Image ends very badly when they run into Harry's ex-wife Helen and her boyfriend. Harry thought he was doing well with the breakup, but this throws him for a loop. And seeing Jess and Marie so happily in love with each other just causes him to blow a gasket. The pessimistic side of Harry comes out as he warns Jess and Marie that someday they will eventually break up and they should prepare themselves for the inevitable. He even picks a fight with Sally. It's not pretty. They say some unfortunate things to each other, but they're quick to apologize and make up. It's not long after that that they are invited to Jess and Marie's home for game night. They each bring the person that they are dating, and it's clear they are very jealous of each other's relationships. This is the first time in a while where they are both simultaneously in healthy relationships, and as it happens, they're both with attractive, successful, and enjoyable people, but it doesn't stop them from finding fault in each other's relationships. Late one night, as Harry is sitting home reading a book, Sally calls him crying. She announces that her ex-boyfriend, Joe, is getting married, and she asks if Harry will come over. He rushes over to comfort her and she tells him the whole story. Sally has always believed that they broke up because Joe didn't want to get married. But now she's facing the hard truth that he just didn't want to marry her. There's not much Harry can do but hug her and hold her as she cries. 
it's a little hard to imagine how one thing leads to another, but hugging turns to kissing and the next thing you know, they have sex. As we all know, there's nothing like a good roll in the hay to ruin a perfectly good friendship. And of course, Harry and Sally are no exception. They both realize and almost immediately admit to each other that it was a mistake and neither of them can seem to recover from it. Harry confesses to Jess that maybe there's just a point in a friendship where it's just too late to have sex. This is what we commonly refer to as the friend zone. A few weeks go by and the next time Harry and Sally see each other is at Jess and Marie's wedding. A wedding, by the way, they are both in. So it's particularly awkward as their dearest friends are stating their vows and these two can hardly stand to look at each other. Harry does attempt to half-ass apologize and ask them if they could just move on from the unfortunate incident. Her feeling is that this thing happened between them and he's acting like it doesn't mean anything. While he contends that it means something, it just doesn't have to mean everything. So they're at an impasse. It ends with Harry getting a big fat slap across the face from a pissed off Sally. Doesn't appear that they will be sleeping together again anytime soon. Pretty soon the holiday season is upon us again and Harry is doing his level best to make up with Sally. They had agreed as friends that they would always spend the holidays together if they were both single and he's hoping they can repair their friendship. He's using up every bit of space on her answering machine with multiple calls each day begging for forgiveness. Sally isn't having it. She's not about to let herself be the backup plan every time he gets lonely. On New Year's Eve, Sally attends a big party thrown by Jess and Marie. But to avoid further conflict, Harry chooses to stay home. It's obvious that neither of them is having fun. We watch as they do their level best, but through flashbacks, we start to see how obvious it is that they need to be together. Not just in this moment, but forever. We know we can't let this movie end without these two kids getting together. And luckily, we're not let down. Harry crashes the party unexpectedly and presents her with this big, grand, romantic speech. This scene should be the model for every single I miss you, I love you, and I want to be with you movie scene for the rest of mankind. It's funny. It's charming. It makes you laugh and cry. And inevitably, it's exactly what Sally needed to hear. And more importantly, it's something we never thought Harry was capable of saying. The 12 years that they have spent going round and round on the will they or won't they merry-go-round is finally over. And they lived happily ever after. Question one. Does when Harry met Sally stand the test of time? Yes. In my opinion, this is one of the greatest romantic comedies of all time, at least in the top five. The script, which is filled with humor and honesty, and frankly, it's kind of a no BS assessment of what dating can really be like. This was before online dating, so you had to hope your friends or coworkers would set you up or you'd be lucky enough to meet someone special at the gym or the grocery store or the train. It was really tough. It's also one that is repeatedly recognized for several memorable scenes. Billy Crystal, who'd had a strong background in comedy, is said to have jazzed up the script a tiny bit to make it funnier, and it's worth every minute. It's hard to look back at this and not acknowledge what an absolute powerhouse Billy Crystal was in the late 80s and early 90s. He came onto the scene in the late 70s, mostly on TV comedies, and then a very memorable stint on Saturday Night Live. And then suddenly, he was everywhere. 
He was the go-to guy for every comedy, action, romance. It starts in 86 with Running Scared, and then his long string of success. The Princess Bride. Throw Mama from the Train. When Harry Met Sally. City Slickers, which is an absolutely hilarious movie. Please go watch it. He starts doing voice acting, starting with some Dr. Seuss movies, and then he becomes a legend as Mike Wazowski in the Monsters, Inc. franchise. All the while, he's hosting the Oscars year after year after year, which is viewed by an enormous audience. And although this was the time he was really at his peak, he has still continued to make many great movies, appeared on Broadway, performed stand-up, and has done extensive philanthropic work for the last 30 years. Of course, if this movie were made today, we wouldn't think twice about casting someone different in the leading man role. Someone like Ryan Reynolds or Channing Tatum or even Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Nowadays, we prefer to have a little bit of eye candy on the screen. Even back then, the role was offered to guys like Tom Hanks and Michael Keaton, but they ended up with Billy Crystal, and it really helped catapult his career. And it goes without saying, Meg Ryan is no slouch. And truth be told, if she had been cast opposite of virtually anyone else, she very likely would have stolen this movie right out from underneath them. This is a perfect role for her. Question two. Is it Oscar worthy? Interestingly enough, it earned five Golden Globe nominations, but was almost entirely ignored at the Oscars that year. I I can't say I blame them. The nominees were Driving Miss Daisy, Born on the Fourth of July, Dead Poets Society, Field of Dreams, and My Left Foot. So you can see there just wasn't much room on the list for a campy romantic comedy. It may have fared better in another year, but this just wasn't meant to be. The American Film Institute has added it to several of its top lists. It's number six on the AFI's top 10 romantic comedies of all time. It's 23 on the list of 100 Years, 100 Laughs. It's 25 on the list of 100 Years, 100 Passions. It's number 60 on the list of top 100 songs. And it's number 33 on the list of top 100 quotes with, I'll have what she's having. In 2022, the film was selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant. Question three, should you watch it? I I personally cannot recommend it enough. It's charming and quite refreshing. Apart from maybe a few F-bombs, it's entirely PG-rated. There's no nudity, no violence, no big explosions or car chases. It's just a simple little film that relies heavily on a great script and the strong performances of essentially four actors who carry the entire film. I didn't mention this earlier, but the music is to die for. The soundtrack is mostly anchored by Harry Connick Jr., but it also features performances by Louis Armstrong, Ella Fitzgerald, Frank Sinatra, Ray Charles, and Bing Crosby. It's a kind-hearted, feel-good movie, and it's definitely worth a couple of hours of your time. Okay, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening. This has been a bonus episode of Cinema Sunday. I'll be back next week to discuss another Oscar-winning film.
please tell your friends about this podcast. It's really helpful if you like and follow the show, or even post a review. That is the best way to help Cinema Sunday reach a wider audience. If you have a comment, maybe I got some facts wrong, or you just want to tell me I have shit taste, you can email cinemasunday at yahoo.com. The music for Cinema Sunday is appropriately titled So Happy. It is by Scott Holmes Music. I got it off of freemusicarchives.org. And the work is licensed under Creative Commons by NC 4.0. Links are provided in the bio. And if you happen to visit the Free Music Archive, they do take donations. So please be generous. Thanks and see you next week.